0: Chiefs back on a winning streak now after a win over the Broncos on Monday Night Football. I'm Farzim Vasugi, and thank you guys for downloading and listening to the Chiefs on podcast. Hope you guys had a great weekend. Hope you guys enjoyed Halloween. I'm back from Cancun. Uh, Nice vacation there. Did not get a chance to see a lot of the game uh, while flying back. First of all, of course, like I first of all people they sent me tweets saying yes American Airlines has ESP American Airlines doesn't even offer live uh, TV streaming Southwest does I know but others don't but that's okay maybe some of you guys got mixed up with that some of you donks probably got that wrong but that's okay but I asked on Twitter I said is there a way to watch on air now I know a lot of times when you're flying with with Wi-Fi Netflix, HBO Go Hulu, those kinds of streaming services don't work, but the ESPN watch app does work. Now of course, I had the worst Wi-Fi not not that there's any great airplane Wi-Fi out there, but I, I had the worst airplane Wi-Fi in the history of airplane Wi-Fis. So I didn't get a chance to see a lot of the game live. I was actually following it on my phone watching the box score, and I'll say this, it is kind of weird following a game by a box score, you you kind of, you, you don't know everything, but there are some things that you can still learn just from looking at a box score, so kind of intriguing uh, how, how that can work, but uh, follow the score as it went on, listen to the fourth quarter on the radio, and of course the Chiefs came away with a 29-19 to win, some, some good, some bad to talk about, we'll go over that in just a moment. And given that we are at the halfway point of the season, definitely worth looking at Kansas City's record and looking at the AFC West. Plus, I'll read your guys' Facebook comments and tweets that you guys sent me about Kansas City's 6-2 record midway through the season. And I'll react to your guys' comments on that. Of course, as I mentioned, we'll recap the win over the Broncos from Monday night. We'll do the closing segments, or at least normally they are the closing segments. We'll go around the NFL, out of bounds, and I'll throw my penalty flags. I've got some interesting ones for this podcast. Go over some of the big trades and how they could impact the Chiefs. And as always, I've got my airport slash airplane etiquette rant. Uh, I've, I've got an interesting one. Plus, I've got a Halloween rant that I want to get into. And then, of course, at the end of the podcast, since we are doing a recap and a preview on the same episode, we'll preview the game between the Chiefs and the Cowboys this Sunday. Some breaking news regarding that game as Ezekiel Elliott, at least for right now, is suspended for that game. We'll get into that later and just kind of how crazy it is for for the NFL when they deal with things like this and how long it can take. Look at the, the Tom Brady football deflategate incident and how long that took for him to finally serve his four-game suspension. So who knows if Ezekiel Elliott will really play or not as of right now again he's expected to miss this game and be suspended and serve that six game suspension but you never know uh, with the NFL and how long some of these things can take before the season this was expected to be Ezekiel Elliott's second game of the year and now we go from thinking that this Chiefs game could be a second game to now being the first game that he'll miss to serve his suspension As always, you guys can interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash Farzee Give it a like and follow me on Facebook. Did not do a Facebook Live this week. Of course, I was flying during the game, but we'll definitely have one at halftime and after the game this week against the Dallas Cowboys. The Chiefs are going to have a large viewing audience since this is a late afternoon game on CBS. And then, of course, you guys can follow me on Twitter as well, at Farzine21. As I mentioned, I'll read some of your Facebook comments as well as some of your tweets in just a moment. You guys can email me as well, Farzine, at FarzineVisugian.com. I mentioned that I was flying back uh, during the game uh, as it happened. The flight was delayed by uh, 30 minutes, unfortunately. It arrived late from, I don't know where it it was coming from. I I went from Cancun to Charlotte and then Charlotte back to Kansas City and... (laughs) Uh, it was nerve-wracking knowing that the game was going on and I didn't know what was what was really happening. And of course, I, I as soon as I got the Wi-Fi, instead of trying to watch the game, I wanted to know the score first. I saw it was 14-0 and I said, great, I've already missed a lot. And from reading some of the tweets, I, I read something about Jamal Charles fumbling the football. Kind of similar to how we did a couple of years ago. Uh, and it was Marcus Peters who came up with the scoop. Uh, a lot of things I learned. A lot of things I learned. Uh, I heard that the Chiefs threw an interception. I didn't know who threw. I, I thought it was Alex Smith. But, of course, I learned that it was on a crazy trick play, which, of course, we'll talk about. Uh, but, nonetheless, I, I didn't get to see a lot of it because of the crappy Wi-Fi. It, it, it just wasn't worth attempting to try to fix the ESPN app and try to go with the stream streaming also. I just gave up eventually and just followed it with the box score. I will say I have flown over Arrowhead Stadium before. And this was like during uh, when there was nothing going on at the Truman Sports Complex, which which was still cool to see, but I knew we were going to see Arrowhead Stadium on the way back. And and to be clear, this obviously was not right directly above the stadium. This is, of course, around it, of course, with the new regulations and everything since what happened at 9-11, but uh, I knew we were going to pass by and we flew across from Arrowhead Stadium as the game was happening. And I've got to say, I I, I love Arrowhead. It's one of the best places to go, even though I'm not a big fan of attending games anymore, especially at Arrowhead with the ridiculous traffic before and after games. It's just not worth that much of my time, to be honest. But uh, it is still cool to see Arrowhead with the lights on, with a crowd there. I had never seen that before. And I'm, I'm used to being able to watch Chiefs games. And I will say the weirdest part about that is... I'm, of course, dying to know what's going on. This was early in the second half. So I don't know exactly what's happening with the Chiefs at that exact point. And I'm I'm looking over the stadium. And this is all happening. So, uh, of course, it is kind of a weird thing not knowing what happened. But I did DVR the game. I, I knew I'd probably not be able to. I, on the off chance that the Wi-Fi wasn't very good or if they didn't have Wi-Fi, some aircraft still don't have it. Uh, I, I knew I would need to watch the game anyway, so I did rewatch everything just to kind of see what happened. Uh, so I, I did see most of the second quarter, uh, but other than that, I, I really didn't see a whole lot. Of course, with the with the buffer and the lag, you miss a lot of key things as well. So we'll get into that in just a moment. Let's just look at the AFC West for one moment because the Chiefs obviously just snapped a two game losing streak. And that two-game losing streak came within a a five-day span. Now, since the last Chiefs win, which was week four on Sunday Night Football over the Texans on the road, the rest of the AFC West was 3-5 and during Kansas City's last win, during the two-game losing streak, essentially, while the losing streak was going on. The Chiefs dropped two consecutive games and the Broncos could have easily taken the lead in this division. And they didn't. The Raiders started 2-0 and they've dropped 5 of their last 6 since. Now unfortunately we know which uh, of those 6 games which one they actually won. Don't need to go over that so much. But the Broncos on the other hand, they started 3-1. and Then they fell to a winless Giants team. The same day the Chiefs lost their first game of the season to the Steelers. And then they got shut out by the Chargers 21 0, and then, of course, lost to the Chiefs this past week. The Chargers started 0 4, won 3 0, but then they was recently snapped by the Patriots. The Broncos are 3 4. The Chargers and the Raiders are both 3 5. The Chiefs have a strong 6 2 record with a very solid lead. In the division, a two and a half game lead over the Broncos and a three game lead over the rest of the division, the Chargers and the Raiders. And we are at the halfway point of the season right now. The Chiefs snapped a rough two game losing streak that occurred in the span of five, five days. And for them to be able to snap that against a divisional opponent, that built a gap in the division lead perfect time and the perfect way to snap that losing streak is by beating a team from your own division and building a bigger lead in the AFC West. And I will say and I and I referred to those two losses as tough losses. When you when you lose a game in week 1 or 2 or 3, you know, I mean it's early in the season. But when you go for a long period of time without losing, especially when you're the last team to lose, and this is Kansas City's fourth time since 2003 being the last team to lose a football game, it just hurts even more because the standard is so high when you have the best record in the league. So when you're the last team to fall, it just really hurts because you haven't experienced that that type of loss yet or any kind of loss at that season. And... Especially the way it happened in that Steelers game. The the inconsistency to play good football for four quarters, which has been a thing for Kansas City for some reason, despite winning so many of their games. That was a tough way for the Chiefs to lose against the Steelers, especially when they had a chance to break their hearts and win it late in the game, or at least tie it. Then the way you lost to the Raiders. I, I mean, we, we can go over that... We already did There's so many things we can talk about from that game, but the ending giving the Raiders two opportunities with no time on the clock, I mean that 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 definitely hurts when you're just giving them opportunities, every opportunity to win. So for the Chiefs to snap that two game losing streak, doing it against a divisional opponent on primetime football, definitely, definitely a good sign that things are going in the right direction. So for right now, Kansas City bouncing back 6-2 and two halfway through the season. You'll definitely take that. Now, if you told me we'd be 6-2, and two, I would have thought, okay, maybe they lost a game here and there. They were back-to-back. So the way that the two losses occurred, not very ideal for sure. But either way, 6-2 and two is 6-2. and two, And you can't tell me that you expected anything better than that ...halfway through the season. Especially with some of the opponents you have played. You know the Patriots and what they're about. The Eagles have the best record in the NFL... ...and you're the only team that has defeated them so far this season. So considering some of the games the Chiefs have had... ...and plus, they've had five primetime games already. And they went 4-1 and in those primetime games. They've got one more left this season against the Chargers. And if the Broncos can pick up some steam... ...maybe that Week 17 game... Could be a Sunday night football game. But as of right now, you've got at least one more primetime football game. But the Chiefs got a lot of primetime football games in the month of October and got a lot of face time. And and I think kind of a perfect time, too, because you had a great guy in Kareem Hunt who got off to a phenomenal start. So fans got to see more of him on primetime football, despite he's declined a little bit lately, which we'll, we'll talk about as well. But nonetheless, you've got a lot to really be happy about. At the halfway point of the season. With a 6-2 and two record. On Twitter, you can do polls. Facebook, you used to be able to do this, but not anymore. I asked you guys on Twitter, with the Chiefs being 6-2. and two, What are your thoughts midway through the season? And what grade would you give the team? I, the options were A, B, C, and D. Uh, you can only have four options. 25% of you guys gave the Chiefs an A. 64% of you guys graded the Chiefs with a B and 10% said C shockingly not even one troll uh, gave the Chiefs a D I thought at least one fan would have done that but 10% giving the Chiefs a C grade kind of surprising so far and, and again I, I, I tweeted this at 3 o'clock and I'm reading this about six and a half hours later so surely these might change a little bit but a lot of you guys gave the Chiefs a B grade and here's what a lot of you guys responded to that Kiwi says the defense is keeping me from picking an a for them stacy says the season is is about playoff performance tired of winning just in the regular season dave says the chiefs clearly have their issues but at six and two uh with that record with their schedule they deserve an a grade smitty mahomes (laughs) smitty mahomes i like that name uh all out an option for an a minus issues aside Outside of the refs gifting Oakland's two TDs, we'd be 7-1 right now. Grant says a solid B+, 6-2, and and haven't played a complete game since week one at New England. Going to Facebook, and by the way, if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can do so. Twitter.com slash farzine 21 Follow me on there. If you guys want to interact with me on there, feel free to do so. I always love the interactivity with you guys, so always appreciate you guys uh, sending me tweets sending me facebook messages uh, a couple of things that i do want to get into a lot of you guys have been asking a certain question that i do want to get into i did not mention this before the show but a lot of you guys have been asking about Tom holly and i'll definitely get into that in just a moment but uh, i'm always i'm always willing to talk about whatever you guys are talking about and so i always appreciate the comments on uh twitter as well as facebook and if you guys want to like my facebook page do so facebook.com slash farzine Vesugian. Here are some of the comments you guys wrote on Facebook. Travis said, I think it's just important for us to show consistency. The last few seasons, we've struggled staying consistent in the second half, and we've seen that a few times this season as well. We got more positives than negatives on this team this year, but we can't keep slipping in games, and we definitely can't continue to rack up silly penalties. Uh, Alec responding to Ross says, I 100% agree with Travis. That's funny, i got to mix up with Ross Travis. I'm going to say Travis, I, I apologize, I said Ross. 100% agree with Ross, but I also think as long as Smith can keep scrambling and gaining yards on his feet, it seems to me when he does that, the offense plays on another level. However, as Travis said, we need consistency. Greg says my midway grade would be a B. Lost a few players uh, th- through injury, but holding on, we need to pick up A solid cornerback or safety and get key players back from IR, or else this season could end up with a grade of a D. Uh, Jesse says, as long as the offense keeps the consistency going and the defense actually plays good defense, then I think we might have a chance. If the offense can't get its head out of its butt, we we might be one and done in the playoffs. Chase says, I just hope they become more of a complete team for the remainder of the season. Offense stepped up big time this year, but the defense has failed to meet expectations so far. A with more comments. Chris says, To be honest, I'm prepared for another postseason letdown, like I do every season. Until proven otherwise, I expect the worst. Hope for better results. I'm just tired of the letdown every year. And I, I hope I'm pronouncing this corac- correctly. Either Ina or Ina, we have n- not dominated. If our offense could score something on all of the fumble recoveries and interceptions, which is all defense we could dominate. Kind of incomplete there. Hey, like I said before, I I read these on the spot. I don't read them before or anything because I want to be able to react to them live. Basically, the sense I'm getting from a lot of you guys. Sure, there's always room for improvement, but listen, look at New England. Against the against the Chargers. And not a very great Chargers team either. Yes, I get it. They had a three game winning streak coming into this game, but the Patriots scored fifteen points in the second quarter after trailing seven nothing in the first quarter. So they had a fifteen to seven lead, and then the Patriots scored three points in the third quarter, three in the fourth. And the Chargers scored 6 in the 4th quarter. The Patriots won 21-13. to So the Patriots... And I don't know exactly how they got the 15. I didn't see the entire game. But just from looking at that box score... And I got to see parts of the game uh, while on vacation... Which, by the way, for some reason in Mexico, they were just showing the AFC West game. They were switching in between the Chargers game and the Raiders game, which I greatly appreciated because, of course, I want to see the AFC West action. But looking at that score right there, you score 15 points in the second quarter, and then the Patriots only came away with three points in each of the last two quarters. So listen, even the best teams, the New England Patriots, like this has been the most dominant team in the past nearly 20 years. 15 to 20 years, even they find themselves struggling at times against teams that they should probably blow out and dominate. So listen, I mean look, I'm going to get into the game right now, but just to react to some of you guys' comments and if I have to give the Chiefs a grade, I'm giving them an A minus. A-. I mean if we have to drop the minus and the pluses, I'll just give them an A because you were the last team to lose a football game yes you had two bad losses back to back but you found a way to bounce back and for the most part yes there has been some inconsistency but the thing about this the thing about this Andy Reid team and it's just a very strange characteristic as ugly as they might play for three quarters they will always find a way to battle and give it 100% till the very end and more times than not They'll find a way to come away with the W. It's not the most ideal way to come away with the win, but they will come away with a win one way or another. So, yes, the Chiefs have been winning ugly quite a lot the past year and a half, but look, let's not forget how things were before Andy Reid arrived. The Chiefs were not winning ugly. They were losing a lot. And here's the other thing, too, that I, that I do want to say. The Chiefs did challenge a lot of their opponents. During those bad years before Andy Reid arrived. And guess what? When those teams beat the Chiefs, that was a quote unquote ugly win for those teams. And surely we still remember those days. Do you truly think that other teams, when they beat the Chiefs, their fan base said, Oh man, what an ugly win that was. No, you take the win. So many players have said this. Wins don't come easy in the National Football League. You always take the win. Why can't the Chiefs put up 42 points on other teams when they did so against the Patriots? Somebody asked a a kind of an interesting question to me on Twitter, asking why is it that the Chiefs uh, fans are acting like that they just played a really bad game against a really great defense. Listen, the Chiefs scored 42 points on the Patriots on banner night, on the NFL kickoff night. Now, yes, I I understand they are the worst defense. One of the worst defenses in the league. But it's still the Patriots. That was how you kicked off, not just week one. It, that was not a week one Sunday game. That was the NFL opener. That was the very first game. And from late Thursday night all the way into the first set of games on Sunday, everyone was just talking about how horrible the Patriots looked. And that was because of Kansas City. Kansas City caused the Patriots to look like that, and they caused the media to completely lose their minds like that. So yes, we can go on and on about how horrible the Patriots' defense really is. It's not that impressive to put up 300 yards and a good chunk of points against that Patriots team, despite the fact that the Patriots have been winning most of their games. They're also 6-2. But still, for the Chiefs to do that against the Patriots and... I think it also has to do more so with the fact that Alex Smith and Kareem Hunt just went off and they had the two best games of their careers. Now, Kareem Hunt, obviously, the he, he's, that was, of course, the first of his very, very young career, still his rookie season. Alex Smith has been in the league for a long time and no one has ever seen him play like that. So I can understand Chiefs fans wondering where the consistency is. Why isn't it... That the Chiefs can't put up this many points. Like they did against the Patriots. And again I understand that. Because yes again I'll say it again. That is a horrible Patriots defense. But considering that they are still the New England freaking Patriots. The standards are high. The expectations are always going to be high. Chiefs fans want to see pure dominance from here on out. Because if you can beat the Patriots like that. The expectation going into every game is is that you should be you should win. So Chiefs fans just have that instilled in them after how they looked in the NFL kickoff. Perhaps kind of a spoiled way to look at things because look, there was this talk there the, the ridiculous amount of talk about how the Patriots were going to go 16 and 0 and they couldn't even win game number 1. And I again using the Patriots as an example against the Chargers, they scored 15 in the second quarter and then they only came away with field goals the rest of the game. The Chiefs in this football game starting off 14-0 they only scored 5 field goals the rest of the game. They didn't do anything else when it came to scoring. Now is that great? No, absolutely not, but a win is a win, guys. Now look, I'll say this, if I'm a, a, a fan who spent money on a parking pass on all the expensive food and drinks and for a ticket and I d- don't see another touchdown the rest of the way on a Monday night game? Sure, it probably disappoints me. It's not the most exciting football game to, to, to attend and, or, or even to watch from home. Because if you sc- start a game 14 nothing, you want to score the rest of the way. And by the way, let's not forget, one of them was from a Jamal Charles fumble scooped up by Marcus Peters. So the Chiefs only had one offensive touchdown in this football game. If you told me the Chiefs had only one offensive touchdown in the game would not have surprised me because I talked about how great Denver's defense is. But if you told me just one offensive touchdown, I would have been a little concerned and I would have had to ask, man, do we even win this football game with just one offensive touchdown? Fortunately, Trevor Simeon and the rest of the Broncos team, I mean, they gifted the Chiefs with five turnovers in this football game so despite committing a couple of turnovers Kansas City came away with five so that certainly helped them come away with a big win in this football game but overall offense was alive early in this game Moved the ball very well, but then they completely completely went to sleep after a hot start. The defense, they scored the first touchdown of the game, so that gave the Chiefs a lot of momentum. That pumped up the offense. Travis Kelsey gets that nice touchdown catch. Burning Stewart and making it 20 or excuse me, 14-0. Uh look the the, the trick play there with the toss to Tyree Kill and the throw to Ross Travis throwing it in traffic. Uh, clearly it was forced in a careless throw from Tyree Kill. If that was Alex Smith who made that throw, even if that was his first interception of the season, man, there would have been a lot of disappointed Chiefs fans uh, because no quarterback should ever force a football like that, especially a quarterback like Alex Smith who does a better job of taking care of the football better than anybody. So certainly... The Chiefs had to have practiced that to the point where, look, if it's a busted play, throw it out of bounds. And something Tyree Kill did not do in this game, so it should have been at the very least seventeen nothing, uh, a twenty-one nothing start for the uh, for the team. Uh, but but look, look you, you you take the win, Travis Kelsey, phenomenal game. I mentioned his touchdown catch that he had seven catches total for hundred thirty-three yards. The Chiefs mentioned this on on their social media page. Travis Kelsey just had his ninth 100-plus yard receiving game. That's the most since 2016. And behind him are Julio Jones and T.Y. Hilton, each with eight. So Travis Kelsey, more 100-yard games than anybody else since the 2016 season. Kareem Hunt, I would say he had his worst game of his great rookie season so far. Held to 68 total yards, the fewest. He's been held to this year, and the first time he's been held to below 100 total yards from scrimmage. He's been extremely quiet on the ground lately, and the Chiefs need to do something about that. He should not have been given the ball 22 times on the ground on Monday night. Just shouldn't have. Alex Smith, he also had his worst game of the season, and I'm not even referring to the fumble he had. I'm more concerned about the 14 completions and 17 incompletions from this game. I think he's going to bounce back from this for sure, but that's very uncharacteristic of him to do. He leads the league not just in passer rating, but also in a completion percentage. He was 14 of 31 in this football game. He had three more incompletions than he had completions. And again, I'm not... Bagging on him for the fumble, it's more because of the higher incompletions than total completions in this football game. I will say this, though. The brightest spot, to me, was the offensive line, shockingly. Now, you got Mitch Morse back, which was big. And you had that shift for Zach Fulton going from center to guard. Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, he's expected to be back soon, hopefully for the Sunday game against Dallas because... Kansas City's going to need that offensive line against the Dallas Cowboys. Alex Smith was sacked 20 times in the first six games of the season. Averaged close to three and a half sacks per game. Now, he's been sacked just once in each of the last two games. In fact, in just one of the last four games, he was sacked three times. And that was against the Steelers. In the other three games, he was sacked just once each time. So the offensive line is getting better for Kansas City. And when you're getting Mitch Morse back, certainly helps, but the offensive line was already getting there before he even returned. Now you've got Laurent Duvernay-Tardif coming back, so the offensive line should be even better. So after kind of a rough start early on with the sacks and the injuries on both sides of the football, you got Steven Nelson back, which I'm going to get into the defense shortly. You've got Mitch Morse back, so that'll certainly help. And hopefully... That'll get the rushing attack going again because Mitch Morris, one of the better blocking, r- run blocking centers in the NFL right now. So Kansas City definitely needs to get him going and some of his big runs did come straight from the middle. So something that Kansas City really needs to work on. And if LDT comes back this Sunday, again, your interior line just got a lot better and more of an opportunity to get the running game going right through the middle. Going to the other side of the football, looking at the defense. Marcus Peters, of course, phenomenal game for him. Got that strip off Jamal Charles and recovered his own fumble that he caused and then bolted straight to the end zone for the first score of the game On also scooped up a bad pick on a bad throw from Simeon. Marcus Peters continues to make his case as to why he is one of, one of the best cornerbacks in the league right now and remember when a lot of people were complaining about Marcus Peters for things that he no crimes committed just people complaining about him for the protests the the, the fan interaction the locker room interview now I criticized him for that but by all means I never said that I wanted him off the team like some people did and after a two takeaway game like that him being the big difference maker and setting the tone early for the Chiefs I don't think fans are going to want him traded after a game like that. And by the way, he's had, I get it, he, he's gotten off to a slow start, but he's had way worse games before. Look at his rookie season. Yes, I know he led the league in interceptions with eight with another player, but he also allowed eight touchdowns and the second most yards. In the league that year. Now I get it. He was a a rookie that year. And playing the cornerback position. Not a very easy position. For rookies to play. So that was a learning experience for him. And he hasn't allowed a lot of yards. Like that since then. Yeah he's had a couple of bad games like I said. But he's managed to kind of dust that off now. And he's doing much better. After kind of a slow start this season. And to be honest. I think with. Well, I'll just say this. I think his bad playing days are are behind him. His rookie year, he had some really bad games. And it doesn't show up on the stat sheets. You've got to have some of those premium stats to do that. As I mentioned, allowed eight touchdowns, most in the NFL that year. He allowed uh, second most receiving yards. And I think the only other time where he may struggle like that is when he declines as he gets older. And and that is completely normal for a defensive back. And at, at that point, I think he could maybe be more of a slot quarterback by that time. And that is, of course, assuming that he remains healthy and has a very long career in the NFL. Getting away from the secondary, I did mention Steven Nelson. Good to have him back. Had a fairly good game. But getting away from the secondary... And I should add, of course, Ron Parker came away with that bad uh bad throw, turned that into an interception, which was great. But the front seven also played very well. Justin Houston and D Ford, the outside linebackers, see what happens when they actually go into the offensive backfield when they try to put pressure on the quarterback. What happened? Justin Houston got two sacks. D Ford put some pressure on Travis Simeon, and he also had a nice run stop behind the line of scrimmage. Early in the game. Now did suffer an injury. So hopefully he'll be available later in during the week. That's something the Chiefs are definitely going to need to keep an eye on. But see what happens when you have your sack artist. Justin Houston. Go after the quarterback. You have a great game like that. Not only did he have two sacks. But he also pressured Simeon. To throw some really horrible passes. A couple of them intercepted. And at that point... You just have to know right now, if you are the Kansas City Chiefs, if you're the de- defensive coordinator, Bob Sutton, you've got to know that enough of having Justin Houston drop back. Actually have him go after the quarterback. Go after the ball carrier. That should be his duty. Now, once or twice a game, if you if you have him drop back, that's fine. But 99% of the time, he's got to be going after the quarterback. And when he does that... Good things happen for the defense. You only allowed 19 points in this football game. And that ties for second best this season for the Chiefs. The Kansas City Chiefs allowed 19 points also to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they allowed just 10 points to the LA Chargers. So, for the most part this season... Kansas City has not done a good job when it comes to limiting teams from lining up the scoreboard. And in this game, holding the Broncos to 19 points, that's pretty good. Now, if you told me that the Chiefs were going to get just one offensive touchdown and allow 19 points, it would have kind of scared me. But again, if you told me just the 19 points part with Denver, I would have said this this offense may struggle against this defense but if you hold the Broncos to 19 you're going to squeeze out a win and that's exactly what happened in this football game Kansas City squeezed out a 29 to 19 win against the Broncos and a big part of that had to do with the defense Justin Houston consistently went after Trevor Simeon in this game and in total the Chiefs got five takeaways in this football game couple lucky ones but you'll take those Special teams, I I do got to say this, Tyreek Hill needs to have better awareness when he fields a punt. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but a teammate pushed Broncos wide receiver Benny Fowler into Hill, which everyone thought was a flag, and it wasn't. Now, had Tyreek Hill come in contact with the football when he got hit on that punt return that he was trying to field, that would have been a fumble. And Hill, and we talk about ill-advised passes with quarterbacks... I'll say this about Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill has had some ill-advised punts that he's fielded. When he should let it just bounce and try to avoid any kind of trouble in which it could result into fumbling the football and turning it over to the opposing team. The offense doesn't commit many turnovers. Only three this year. You had it on the very first snap of the season, and then you had two in this game. And those are the only three in total. So you'd like to keep that number as low as possible. When your offense is is doing a good job of that, let's try to not let that happen on special teams either. And I think Tyreek Hill, as great as he has uh, at uh, returning punts and all, the problem is he gets carried away with that and he wants to get his hand on every punt even if he's going to fair catch it. And I just don't think that's right. And I think with Dave Tobe as a special teams coordinator, you've got to go over that with him and make sure he does not try to feel the punt that could could lead to a fumble and put the team in harm's way and give the opposing team great field position and bring the offense back out after just one play, being on the sidelines. I'll end on a good note for the special teams unit, though. Harrison Butker, who signed with the team in Week 4, didn't play the first three games when he was still with the Panthers, he is already tied fifth in the league and total field goals made with 18. His first attempt was his only miss. Since then, he's made 18 straight, including five that he made Monday night. Gotta give Brett Veach and the Chiefs front office a lot of credit for keeping an eye on him and bringing him in at the right time. I know a lot of people were confused when Cairo Santos was let go, but clearly this was the right move made by the Kansas City Chiefs. I do have to complain a little bit about the coaching because, of course, in addition to not being able to consistently play well for four quarters, the Chiefs had 42 seconds on the clock right before halftime in which the Chiefs could have used a timeout to stop the clock, get the ball back, and at least try to get within field goal range with no no timeouts. And Andy Reid didn't use that final timeout to give the offense some, some some sort of chance to get within field goal range. And I'll tell you why that concerns me. To me, that just, that just said Andy Reid was comfortable with what he had there. That tells me that Andy Reid was too complacent at the time. And I think things like that could come back and hurt the Chiefs. And I hate it as a sports fan if I see that my team is getting too complacent. I never want to see a sports team get too too complacent. The worst thing that a sports team could do is get complacent. Because that tells them that they're feeling good about themselves, they're comfortable, they're in a good spot. And then, boom, next thing you know, the worst thing that can happen when you get complacent, it could lead to a big and shocking disappointment to end a season. We saw what happened last year against the Steelers. Certainly not the way the Chiefs wanted the season to end. And I think part of it was because they got complacent. Now look. You had a 14-0 lead in this game. Should have been 17-0, 21-0. The trick play kind of hurt them there. The Chiefs scored just field goals the rest of the way. 5 to be exact. That's still 15 points. The score was 29-19. to Holding a team to below 20 pretty good not bad scoring 29 points close to 30 that's not bad either that's fairly good couple turnovers on offense but look when you come away with five yourself it's okay you'll still be in position to win and the Chiefs did exactly that when you quote unquote win ugly it's okay it's better to win ugly than to lose I mentioned what happened before Andy Reid got here the Chiefs didn't win ugly they lost a lot When you win ugly, you simply accept the win and do everything possible to fix the mistakes and get better at them to prevent it from happening next time and preventing it from hurting you when it matters the most down the road. And I'm, of course, referring to a postseason game. Some of you guys expressed your concern about the postseason. You know the Chiefs are great in the regular season, but it's the playoffs that matter the most, of course. The Chiefs scored 105 points off turnovers, Last season, That was the second best behind Denver's 117. I don't know where the Chiefs would rank this year in that. Those are one of those premium statistics that pro football focus demands thousands of dollars for, which is flat out ridiculous. Surprisingly, though, I think it could be somewhat above league average because of the amount of field goals that the Chiefs are still able to put together off turnovers. If the Chiefs can find a way to turn more of these field goals into touchdowns, oh boy, that could really go a long way for them. Because even though the defense hasn't been great, they do have some bright moments. And I think it would really help this Chiefs defense if the offense can go out there and punch the football into the end zone rather than settle with Harrison Butker field goals. And as great as Harrison Butker is, of 18 straight field goals, I don't care if they're all chip shot field goals. 18 consecutive field goals is no easy task for any kicker. They've got just one job, but it's a very difficult job. If they if they do their job wrong, I mean, they're on a short leash, short, short leash, excuse me. If a quarterback throws an incompletion, I mean, look, it's just one incompletion. One mistake on special teams can really hurt a football team. And Harrison Butker after making his first field goal, or missing his first field goal, he's made 18 straight. And that's going to make you feel pretty good. So again, you'll take the 29-19 win. I'll say it one more time. It's better to win ugly than lose a football game. Alright, there's a topic that I do got to address. A lot of you guys have been asking me about this. I've got a lot of questions about this on Facebook and Twitter and in a couple of emails as well the most common question I've received from people so far during the season is where is Tom, and and this has been more so right before week six, where is Tom Bahali and why hasn't he played with the chiefs yet? And again, I've, I've, I've even received like people contact me, contacting me on my personal Facebook page, asking me this. I mean, look, it's a great question, Unfortunately, I'm going to give a really bad answer, and the answer is, I don't know. Now, Tom Bahali, he was placed on the PUP early in the season, and when you're on the PUP, you're not eligible to practice for the first six weeks. You're eligible to play in week seven. And Tom Bahali, he's been known to Play through sore knees and and just deal with a lot of nagging knee problems, but it's still, again, he's played through them, and I just, that just shows the toughness of Tamba Haley. But a lot of people have been wondering why isn't it that he has not practiced or played yet? He's eligible to practice, but there hasn't been a lot of talk about him practicing. And I see, I and I even did a Twitter search of this, just searching his name and searching his uh, Twitter name, and. There are a lot of people who are tagging people in the media. People who are actually at Chiefs practices and are around these players way more than I am. And they've, they've been asking this. And the media is not responding to any of these questions whatsoever. Now we all know the drama before training camp where Tom Bahali went on that ridiculous... Twitter rant, complaining about the loss to the Steelers in the playoffs and also the loss in the regular season to the Steelers last year and considering how he didn't have very many snaps in those two games. And the timing of those complaints were completely weird because training camp was just about to start and Tom Bahali brings this up roughly, what, six, seven months after that game. So, this has been kind of intriguing because we're just left to speculate here, and I have not really commented on this or have speculated anything I've had thoughts i I haven't really thought of anything to say. I just thought maybe he wasn't ready, and they're they're keeping him out from practicing for now but some people so i've re- I've read some of the comments on social media and a lot of people think that he's being punished because of what he said and did on Twitter with, with the social media rant. It, which, which, by the way, was kind of weird because he even went at it with a couple of people in the media. He took shots at Adam Teicher and Bob Fesco. Uh, I mean, that, that whole thing was just very weird. And then he went into Penn State and just things that had nothing to do... Uh, I mean, the, the Joe Paterno and uh, Jerry Sandusky incident... I mean things that had nothing to do with the Chiefs losing to the Steelers the way they did. So the the whole Twitter rant was weird, and people are wondering if Holly is being punished and is not having a chance to play because because of that. And I I, I don't think so. I really don't think that's the the point. I, look, this is the, this, this is football, all right. I don't care if you're a coach or a player. Everyone's got big egos, but at the same time. Everyone can move on. They really can. I mean, what's the point of keeping a guy if you're not going to use him? Certainly you can trade him, and the Chiefs haven't done that yet. So surely, and here's the other thing too, if you do bring him back to the active 53-man roster, you have to cut somebody. And obviously the Chiefs are keeping him on the PUP uh, designated to return because they still believe that he's got some, some fuel left in the tank. So in order to bring him back, you've got to cut somebody. So they're saving him because they don't want to cut anyone right now. When the time is right, they will bring him back. And they'll they'll be prepared in deciding who they want to cut and let go when they bring him back to the active 53-man roster. So, again, I, I hate to disappoint a lot of you guys who have, who have asked this. Where is Tom Bahali? I mean, the, the, the question is... He's there. He's with the team. He was noticed. I I believe he was in the background of a camera shot on Monday Night Football, and I've noticed him several times on the sidelines. There, he's he's been with the team. He he, he's at. He's in training facility. Listen, if players don't show up for practices, even even if they can't practice, unless they have some sort of excuse, which will normally be noted, they get they get in trouble for that, and. Tamba Hawley hasn't gotten in trouble because he's been to all the team meetings and all the practices. So listen, Tamba Hawley has not been ruled out for the season yet. He will be back at some point this season. When? I don't know. That I can't answer. Given D Ford's recent injury, if it could be pretty serious, maybe at that point you could see Tamba Hawley return this week. Now, we'll have to say, and of course I'm doing this podcast early because of the timing and everything. So, we don't know exactly the status of D. Ford for this Sunday afternoon against the Cowboys. We don't know that yet. We'll see. But for right now, he's he's there. And I know he's going to play at some point. The Chiefs, in order to bring him back, they want to make sure that he's, number one, ready. Number two, if they're going to bring him back, they want to make sure they cut and let go of the right guy. And they don't want to let go of someone kind of similar like Harrison Butker and what he ended up doing down the road with the Chiefs. Surely the Panthers wish they they kept him instead, but you get the idea. Nonetheless, they want to make sure they let go of the right guy if they bring Tom Bahali to the active 53-man roster. Let's go around the NFL. So the big story that took place during the Chiefs game, Jimmy Garoppolo... Traded to the 49ers for a second round pick Now the 49ers have some options try things out with Garoppolo the rest of the year. They don't like what they see in him Maybe make another attempt at trying to snag Kirk Cousins Perhaps that could be an option. They'll likely have a high draft pick so they can always consider drafting someone But when you when you give up a second round pick it almost feels like you spent two draft picks just for a quarterback so when you invest a second round draft pick especially a draft pick that's going to be very high almost up there right behind the end of the first round you hope you're investing in a really good quarterback there's always been talk that Jimmy Garoppolo could start in the NFL but listen you saw the Patriots benefit from gaining a second round pick for Matt Castle Trevor Simeon and what he did just because he backed up Peyton Manning and filled in for him, that that didn't lead to success down the road. So I'm not so sure if I'm sold on Jimmy Garoppolo. Even if he's going to try to flourish under Kyle Shanahan's system, I still don't think that's going to work out well for the 49ers. And by the way, I get he was going to be a backup with the Patriots and now he's a starter. But look, it sucks that he went from 6-2 to 0-8. Oh what a slap in the face that is now at least the 49ers have the benefit of having the bye week to give grapple some time to learn the playbook and get as familiar as he can before he makes his debut the Eagles acquire Jay Ajayi from the Dolphins for a fourth round pick no idea what the Dolphins were doing with that taking just a fourth round pick seems like a charitable move accepting of just a 4th round pick but perhaps too much drama to even keep him so they had to let him go Uh, now the Eagles, look man, they're going all in this is the best team that they've had in a while and they haven't had many great starts like this in their franchise the Eagles are the team to beat right now Kansas City has a win over the Eagles the only team with a win over the Eagles but could they beat the Eagles with this new addition to their team if good things happen to Kansas City Maybe we'll get the answer to that question in the Super Bowl. Also worth noting, the Buffalo Bills got wide receiver Kelvin Benjamin from the Panthers. Certainly a guy the Chiefs could have used, but instead going to the Bills. Another team that hasn't been very good for a while. But this year, Tyrod Taylor has the hot hand, and the Bills are pushing the Patriots for the division title. They really are, and they're also all in. Given their great start this season, they can make it into January, and now they've increased their chances of doing so with a stud-wide receiver like Kelvin Benjamin. And I think it could be interesting to see how things are going to play out in the AFC East between those two teams, the Patriots and the Bills. Last topic, Colin Kaepernick's attorney, Mark Gregos, I hope I pronounced that correctly, he said on Tuesday afternoon that he expects an NFL team to sign Cap within 10 days. Part of me thought Cap would never see an NFL snap again after the report came out that he was filing for grievance against the NFL. And I'll say this right now. Kaepernick, the report of him expected to be signed within 10 days. I know the NFL ratings have gone down, but short term only, I'll tell you what is going to boost the ratings. If Colin Kaepernick signs with a team And if it's announced that he's going to start, or at least there is a promise made that he would see some playing time on the field, NFL ratings for that game would skyrocket. It would just be short term. But listen, if it's a CBS or Fox game, CBS or Fox would do everything to make sure that this is shown in as many markets possible. And for those that aren't able to see it, I guarantee you, highlight videos online of Cap playing Would be some of the most watched sports videos ever that's uploaded on the internet. I don't care what your stance is on Colin Kaepernick or on the protests or where you fall on all of this stuff politically. Everyone's going to want to see Colin Kaepernick. They want to see him either succeed or they want to see him fail. Ratings for whatever team Colin Kaepernick plays for will skyrocket. It's only going to be short term. But that'll definitely boost the ratings. For the time being. Let's go out of bounds. The World Series could be over by the time this episode is published. I'll just say this. This has been a hell of a postseason and a a great World Series, too. The Astros and the Dodgers put on a clinic in Game 5. And speaking of Game 5... The Dodgers hit a home run and a woman caught it. An Astros fan. And her section starts celebrating despite all of them being Astros fan and an opposing player just hit a home run. But look, we all know catching a baseball, it's such a cool moment. It really is. Even better if it's a home run ball, regardless of who hit it. Many dream of catching a ball during a game and never do. But a man sitting two seats from the woman to, to her right, grabs the baseball from her and throws it onto the field now it turned out he was actually the brother-in-law of that woman and the husband who was in between them he tried to prevent him from grabbing it from her almost like he knew what the brother was going to do and once he grabbed it and threw it on the field the look on the woman's face was epic when he threw it she looked absolutely disgusted that it happened now, reports are that the brother-in-law, they both done interviews. The brother-in-law said he's going to make up for her by treating her to a spa day. So, I guess that's a good way to make up for it. Can't imagine any woman saying no to that. So, good way to make up for it after losing the baseball. Look, UFC 217 is this week in New York City at Madison Square Garden. And there are two fighters that are dealing with some distractions coming into this fight. UFC middleweight champion Michael Bisping is going to defend his title against one of the greatest ever to fight, who's going to be making his return after a four-year absence, George St. Pierre, and UFC bantamweight title challenger, TJ Dillashaw. He's got a big title match coming up this weekend. Now again, I mentioned these guys, Michael Bisping, who who is the middleweight champion, and TJ Dillashaw, who's going to fight for the bantamweight title, they both have some strong accusations against them coming right before their matches. Kind of strange. Kind of strange with the timing. Bisping is being accused of choking a guy at a gym and a report says Bisping took over a weight bench that someone was still using and the argument went on from there. Bisping says there are a lot of inaccuracies from this report and that this the timing of it is weird because this happened weeks ago. Dillashaw is being accused of illegally using his knee to strike an opponent's head uh, during a, a during practice with a training partner. And this was while the fighter was on the ground. Now, for those who don't know, in MMA, when a fighter is on the ground, there are certain ways you can hit them and certain things you cannot do. Uh, certainly cannot go after the head when they are considered a grounded opponent. And apparently that's what Dillashaw did and that forced the guy into a retirement because he was concussed. Uh, reportedly... These things both happened a while ago, but they come up a week and a half before their respective big fight on a big stage, New York City, Madison Square Garden. Hmm. Uh, Michael Bisping, he said that his alleged claim is quote-unquote tactical due to the timing of it. And listen, we see this often where if someone has a big event coming up in sports and even in non-sports, past allegations tend to come up especially if the individual has a really big event coming up and they're dealing with some sort of controversy while doing so. John Dorsey, great example. After his firing, it was talked about how he handled doing business and it wasn't a smart way of doing so and others didn't like it. But that only came after the firing. Mark Mangino, this was a big one. In 2009, KU football started 5-0 and then they finished 0-7. During that seven-game losing streak, lots of negativity surfaced about Mangino, including former players who said that they were bleeding and skin torn up from grueling practices and what they had to carry bricks and heavy rocks all around. Donald Trump, yes, a controversial one, and yes, this is also for those who say I've been too political lately, which I haven't. Look, sports and quote-unquote politics clashing it's a topic that has to be discussed when it's a focal point. But nonetheless, during his campaign, a lot of past allegations about him came up during his run to presidency. We didn't hear about this stuff about him before, but during all these debates and during the the, the presidential race, all of these things about his past came up. Why? Because he's got something big going on. I mean, the biggest event of his life going on and all these things came up. Love him or hate him, It's a fact that these things suddenly come up when he's got a big moment going on in his life. So I kind of find it weird that there are people out there that are bringing things up about these two fighters when they've got a big fight coming up. Timing of it is very, very strange. Time to throw some penalty flags. We talked about a lot of the trades that went down. There was one trade that was also agreed upon. The Bengals agreed to trade quarterback A.J. McCarron to the Cleveland Browns, but according to Adam Schefter, the Bengals notified the league about this trade at 3.55 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Remember, the trade deadline is at 4 o'clock. The Browns informed the league right after the deadline, right after 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and because of that... They could not get AJ McCarron. How do you do that? I mean, that reminds me of Demarcus Ware and failing to send his fax report on time to sign a contract, and failing to do so on time, unable to get the deal that he wanted, and the Broncos had to let him go. And look, this has been a kind of a bad year for the Browns with Deshaun Kaiser just has not been very good for the browns i thought they were going to be better this year i really did but man have they been bad all right this is where i have a lot of fun the things that irritate me the most in life bad drivers and people who just don't have etiquette especially at airports and at airplanes uh i was at the charlotte airport and i'm using the restroom minding my own business of course i mean look you're at a restroom okay well there's no reason for you to Get into anyone else's business. But a guy who is two urinal stalls to my left. He starts looking around the people around him and says. Remember when people would talk in restrooms and have nice conversations. And now they don't do that anymore. And in my mind I'm like. What the F is this guy saying. And he goes. Oh it's because of those Beats headphones. And of course he's referring to me because I have mine around my neck. So hes I guess he was referring to me, but there were other people who were just ignoring him as well. And in my head I'm just like, shut the hell up, let me take a piss in peace. Uh, There was another man who was calling for his son, and he was doing it in another language. Not that it mattered a whole lot, uh, but uh, the same guy who was talking about conversations in bathrooms walks up to the kid and says, hey, your dad's calling for you. Dude, leave people alone especially in a restroom I don't want to have no damn conversation with anyone while I'm trying to urinate and by the way when he made the comment about the beats I wish I put my headphones on just cause that'd be like a nice middle finger just a nice F you to to what he was saying cause what the hell I'm trying to take a piss dude shut up Speaking of shutting up, or at least the complete opposite of it, parents, this is your fault. If a kid rings the doorbell multiple times on Halloween and they scream over candy, they should also have the ability to say thank you once candy is handed out to them. Parents, if your kid knows how to scream, and yell, and for whatever reason feel the need to knock multiple times on a door and if they can't say the two most goddamn easiest words in the history of the English language, which is thank you, then you suck as a parent now my brother and I, thank god we had parents who taught us respect and kindness, my parents taught my brother and I to always say please and thank you and you know as a kid I always said that and that stuck with me Even as an adult right now Which I'm proud of Listen I know a lot of people Regardless of age Whether they're kids or adults They don't say this They don't say please and thank you And I personally don't like it People need to show some respect Show respect people Doesn't hurt to say please and thank you Quick Just a couple words If you don't say this Start saying it Especially if it's people you see on a consistent basis, like your family, co-workers, teachers, classmates. And even if it's people that you barely see, like a server at a restaurant, start using please and thank you. You'll be surprised at how much better service you'll get from most servers compared to most other people at a restaurant. Because not many people use those words. A server will come visit you more often than they'll visit other people if you just show some respect. Say please. Thank you. I mean, it doesn't really hurt. Trust me. It goes a long way. It really does. I mean, I always say, hey, I'll have, you know, th- this burger, please. Anytime I'm ordering food. I'll always I, I always use please. And, I, and it's not that I think about using it. It, it just comes naturally for me because I've always done it since I was a kid. Uh, I remember I went out on, on a date with this girl and... I've got to say, I was really embarrassed. I've never been this embarrassed on a date before. She was just completely rude to our server and just used words like, whatever, I'll I'll just have this for dinner. And I was just completely embarrassed, uh, was just completely rude to our server. And again, when you're the guy taking a girl out for dinner and and when that's how she acts... Right then and there, I was just like, please let this be over as soon as possible. Like, I I didn't even want dessert. Like, that's how bad it was. And this was the Cheesecake Factory, by the way. Like, you know how damn good those cheesecakes are. And if you really want to pass on that because your date's absolutely rude... Yeah, it was that bad. So, please... Start using your please and thank yous. I think people will, who don't use that will be really shocked at how much different they'll be perceived and how people will talk to them. Now, there are a couple of people out there who don't like that. That's on them. But there are people who do appreciate when others talk like that. And trust me, that goes a long way. So, parents, teach your damn kids to say thank you if someone's going to be passing out candy to them. And if your kids don't, I hope you pulled the Jimmy Kimmel told me to eat your candy prank. Because, man, it doesn't hurt to say. Like, look, if it's a really tiny kid who barely knows how to say a few words, that's understandable. But kids who know how to yell and scream over candy, come on, y- surely you know how to scream thank you at least. I'll I'll take a screaming thank you over si- over nothing after you hand out candy. I really would. All right, let's move the show along here. Final segment of the show. Talking Chiefs and Cowboys. Cowboys 4-3 and coming off back-to-back wins. Only back-to-back wins of the season for the Cowboys so far. In fact, they've won these two games right after our bye week. So, undefeated so far during the bye week. Oh, no, by the way, they're both road games. At San Francisco, at Washington outscoring those two teams 73 to 29 but the big news regarding the, the this game the suspension of Ezekiel Elliott coming as it's upheld he has to serve his six game suspension surely is going to appeal so we'll see what happens with that from here until the game but if he doesn't get it to go his way, he will miss his first game of the season. And it's going to come against the Chiefs when it should have been his second game back from a suspension. But of course he appealed that and this has been pushed off for a while. Look, I don't know what's going on with the league when it comes to things like this and why it takes so long. But uh there's a lot that that needs to be figured out. For right now, he's suspended for the Chiefs game. And I'll tell you what, before the season I talked about this game and he would have been eager... To get on a roll. Because it would have been hit the second game of the season for him. Now. He for right now. Is not going to be available. And the Chiefs in their horrid run stopping defense. May dodge a big bullet here. And likely won't have to face him on Sunday. And I am want to read you some Ezekiel Elliott numbers. Here's how much of an impact this will make on the game. He's rushed for 100 or more yards in each of the last three games. He's run to the end zone twice each of the last two games, which of course explains the back-to-back wins. He also, by the way, had one catch for 72 yards. That was translated into a touchdown in one of those two games. The Cowboys have handed him the ball 88 times. 88! Tony Gonzalez's number, 88 times in the last three games. That's nearly 30 carries per game. Without him, the Cowboys will have to rely on Alfred Morris, who has 103 yards off 13 carries, and Darren McFadden, who hasn't touched the ball yet this year. And by the way, Elliott is third in rushing with 690. So let's quickly look at Dak Prescott. In the last seven home games, Prescott has thrown for 1,758 yards, 14 touchdowns, Just two picks and a rating of 110. He's had three straight games prior to the last one in which he had three touchdowns in each of them. That was snapped as he had zero against the Redskins and a very quiet performance from him. Despite the offense still putting up, or not the offense, but the whole team I should say because they had a defensive touchdown, putting up 33 points. Now this season, Dak has 14 touchdowns and four picks on the year throwing for 1,569 yards and he has a rating of 96.6. Looking at the passing game, not the greatest this year. Even though they've got a guy who's been one of the best wide receivers in the game. But as I'm in the case this year, former Big 12 standout in Oklahoma State Hokie, Des Bryant. He's just been a little above average, I'd say. 32 catches, 366 yards with four touchdowns. Jason Witten, long time tight end there has 34 catches as the team leader and 314 yards with three touchdown grabs. Outside of that, look, I mean, the Cowboys don't have a lot of great pass catchers. In fact, they only have six players with eight or more catches. The rest have one or two. The Chiefs have nine players with seven or more catches. The other three are Ross Travis, who has three, and then Anthony Sherman and Akeem Hunt, who each have one. The Cowboys have very limited targets to work with through the air. They're ranked 22nd in passing for a reason. They're 11th in total offense, and a big part of that is because of that great rushing attack they have with Ezekiel Elliott. But without him, what is this offense going to do? This offense is ranked 2nd in rushing, but without Ezekiel Elliott, especially with a weak run-stopping defense, maybe Kansas City could look like a good run-stopping defense. Because Alfred Morris, yeah, sure, he's got great numbers, but as a backup, as a down-for-down down guy, maybe it's going to cause some problems for the Cowboys. And I think that's going to put a lot of pressure on Prescott and that 22nd-ranked passing offense to do well. And listen, after that smart game plan of having Justin Houston go after the quarterback rather than drop back occasionally, Houston is is set to have a big game, especially when he faces right tackle Lail Collins, who has been very bad this year, despite the rest of the offensive line being very good for the Cowboys. The Cowboys are fifth in scoring with 28.3 points per game. And again, part of that has to do with the 73 points they had in the last two weeks. And Ezekiel Elliott had a big hand in helping the Cowboys score those 73 points. This week, that stat will be put to the test. Even against a team like the Chiefs, allowing 22.5 points per game. Especially without Ezekiel Elliott. Justin Houston did great against a struggling right tackle against the Broncos. That's a huge reason why Denver only scored 19 in that game. Expect something similar to happen in this game against the Cowboys. They're not going to put up big numbers like they've done each of the last two games. The Cowboys defense, they rank ninth. In total defense, 12th against the pass. And they're right in the middle of the league when it comes to stopping the run. They're 20th in points allowed, though. A big part of their success on defense when they do have success, Demarcus Lawrence. One of the big reasons why they've been so good, or at least have some flashes, he leads the league with 10.5 sacks. David Irving has just 7 tackles on the year, but 5 sacks. Go figure. And then Tyrone Crawford has 4. And by the way, the Cowboys are 5th in the league in total sacks with 25. And of course, you know Kansas City's offensive line, I mentioned they've been getting better lately. and 3 of the last 4 games, they, they've they had just 1 sack allowed. So how are they going to do in a game like this where they're going to be facing a very good defensive front 7 in the Dallas Cowboys? And by the way, looking at Lawrence, he's got 3 force fumbles, 2 of them recovered, Jalen Smith has two forced fumbles while leading the team in tackles with 47. But the Cowboys, as a team, only have three interceptions this year. Now, perhaps the Cowboys will get to Alex Smith in this game a couple of times. I think the Chiefs offensive line could struggle a bit in this game, but maybe not too much. They've gotten better. Mitch Morse is back. LDT should be back in this game. Demarcus Lawrence could be the best pass rusher, statistically speaking, that they'll face this year. So it'll be interesting to see if he can force Alex Smith to throw an ill-advised pass and throw an interception in this game. Obviously, Alex Smith, who is the only one who has yet to throw an interception after eight games, he's thrown 16 touchdown passes. Very impressive so far. The Chiefs are coming off a game where they faced Von Miller and Shane Ray. I know Houston's defense got banged up, but Jadavion Clowney certainly is no easy guy to escape from, and he was available all, all game long. Melvin Ingram and Joey Bosa from the Chargers, the Chiefs faced them. In fact, the Chiefs struggle against those guys. Ingram got three sacks on Smith, Bosa got there once, and still wasn't enough to pressure Smith to the point in which he would throw a pick. So, listen, yes, Lawrence is the best guy that they'll face this year in terms of just statistically speaking with, with a pass rusher. But I think Alex Smith, and I've doubted Alex Smith a couple of times, saying that he'll probably throw an interception here or there. And he hasn't. He's done a good job of avoiding that. So maybe I should continue to predict that he'll throw an interception. And maybe it just won't happen. But uh, I think considering what he's proven in the last couple of games, I think he can prove that he'll get through this game without an interception. Now, yes, he he, had, he almost had one last week on a pass attempt to Tyree kill, but every quarterback has a pass that comes in harm's way and almost intercepted. So, it's not like Alex Smith does something no other Q, QB has done. And, of course, now that I'm predicting that he won't throw an interception, he'll probably throw one. So, we're going to have fun discussing that after the game. But, as far as the rest of the defense go, Jordan Lewis, Anthony Brown, both average cornerbacks. Nothing great with those guys. Byron Jones, an average safety, while Jeff Heath... He struggled this year with one of the other safeties, the strong safety, and he's one of the worst-rated safeties by pro football focus so far this season. As far as special teams goes, Kansas City definitely has the edge on this one over Dallas. Uh, The Cowboys have Dan Bailey, who's made all seven of his field goals. Also have Mike Nugent, who's 4 of 5 on the year. Chris Jones, a below-average punter for them, and Ryan Switzer, who handles both punt and kickoff returns, uh, Not very good. He's also below average in that category. So, when you look at the Cowboys and just why they haven't been necessarily so successful this season. I mean, they're 4-3 and three right now after being one of the more dominant teams in the league last year. At one point this season, they did lose three of four games. And right now, they've got a two-game winning streak going. So... And here's the thing I'll say, I mean, I don't think they played any quality opponents there with the 49ers and the Redskins, no secret about that. So Kansas City coming in, we know Kansas City, what they're capable of. Of course, one of the highest scoring offenses in the NFL, one of the better special teams units in the NFL, and defensively, they're not very good, but they've got some playmakers who can definitely make a difference. And I think when you look at the Broncos game and what the Chiefs could do in that game to carry that over to this week's game, well, I mentioned it, Justin Houston, he's going to be facing a very bad tackle in Collins, and I think that's a great opportunity for the Chiefs to continue with that game plan, that's the game plan you've got to have with Justin Houston, not the whole drop back in coverage, maybe you do it once or twice a game with him, that's fine, but 99% of the time, he's got to be going after the quarterback, and I think by doing so, that's going to do a lot of damage on... Dak Prescott in the entire Cowboys offense and the team. And I think that's going to be a difference maker. The number one difference maker to me is going to be Ezekiel Elliott's absence. That's a huge one right there. If he does play, and I'll just say this now, I do think Ezekiel Elliott does run for 200 yards on Kansas City's defense. I really think he could have that great of a game. And I think by then, that would be enough for the Cowboys to beat the Chiefs. But as long as... Ezekiel Elliott is suspended, this Dallas offense is going to struggle. This was a matchup that I thought would have been very exciting coming into this game. But right now, I think Justin Houston has every reason to have a really great day against Collins and go out there and take Dak Prescott to the ground a couple of times. So so I think Kansas City could have a very good game defensively. And at that point, they're going to come up with some ill-advised interceptions so they'll force those ill-advised passes and come away with picks and hopefully at that point the offense has got to find a way to turn those field goals from the points off turnovers into touchdowns you've got to find a way to do more of that because if you do that this could be a three possession game by the time the final score is out there so for me number one key is for Justin Houston to To beat Collins and get after Dak Prescott. The next biggest one. And I think with. The really bad secondary that. Dallas has. Connect with your receivers. Alex Smith missed Tyreek Hill. On a wide open play. That could have easily been a touchdown pass. And Alex Smith generally has done a good job connecting with Tyreek Hill. On those long bombs. Where he's able to find him wide open. And even then when Alex Smith. Is When he's making the motion to throw, Tyreek Hill is not quite wide open yet, but Alex Smith knows he's going to get open and that he's just going to fly by that cornerback and get wide open to get the pass, and he's not going to have anyone ahead of him. So I think those kinds of plays right there, you're going to see Alex Smith do more of that, especially against this week's secondary. The other key, of course, on the offense, and of course, it goes without saying, Travis Kelsey, I mentioned this earlier, he has nine games since 2016 With 100 plus yards receiving. And that's the most out of any player during that time span. Since the beginning of the 2016 season. So keep that going with Travis Kelsey. So statistically speaking he's clearly the best pass catcher in the game right now. Not just the best tight end. But he's up there as the best pass catcher. If he's consistently getting these 100 yard receiving games. No one else has had as many as he had since the start of 2016. So keep that going with your offense. The Chiefs have some great playmakers in Travis Kelsey and Tyree Kill, And because of the distractions that those two have caused for defenses when they're so attracted to them, they forget about Kareem Hunt. They forget about Albert Wilson and DeAnthony Thomas. And that's allowed those guys to make some plays as well this year for the Chiefs. So continue to do that with your dynamic offense. Keep things going with Tyree Kill. Continue to use him as a decoy on certain plays. And maybe even let him... Take a football when teams expect it to lease when teams expect him to be a decoy when he actually does get the football. The thing that I love about Andy Reid's style of coaching, especially with an offense, he knows when to bring out the right plays and when to throw off a defense. So with his play calls, and I know that's something that he's been criticized for a lot lately, hasn't been criticized for that this year, really. You haven't heard people really talk about that, and that's something I have not talked about either The play calls have been pretty good, I think, for the offense this season. And I think they've got to continue to roll the ball with that right there. Now, something they've struggled with before, definitely got to get Kareem Hunt rolling on the ground. He's been great at that this season, but very quiet the last couple of games with that. From starting the Steelers game, he's rushed for 21 yards. Then he had 87 against the Raiders and then 46 off 22 carries. Against the Broncos, which is certainly not a very good number to have there. So, get Kareem Hunt back on track with the rushing attack, because he put up some ridiculous numbers early on, of course. Had 148 yards on the ground against the Patriots, 172 against the Chargers, 101 against the Redskins, 107 against the Houston Texans, so... We haven't seen much of that from him lately. Yes, he has had 100 yards from scrimmage in every game he's played so far this year with the exception of the most recent one on Monday night against the Broncos, which is again okay because the Chiefs still won that game. It was a two possession game, but he's got to have a big impact and I think Chiefs fans because of just the story he's had and how great he's been, you want to see him stay in the lead for most rushing yards. Le'Veon Bell's right behind him, just a couple of yards away. So, hopefully the Chiefs can find a way to keep him leading. And not that it's the end of the season if, if Le'Veon Bell surpasses him. But I think Chiefs fans really want to see a rushing champion. They really do. And if they can get the ball rolling against a Dallas team that I think is going to struggle because of time of possession, I think that's going to play a big role in this football game. That's definitely going to help Kansas City's case. And fatigue is eventually going to play a role against this uh, Dallas defense, and that'll allow Kareem Hunt to take over like he usually does late in the second half. So here's my prediction here. I think Kansas City finds a way to move the football against this defense. They don't allow a lot of yards, but they, uh, they do allow a lot of points, and I think with this offense that you have, Kansas City will find ways to move the football, move the change, and get close to the end zone, and hopefully punch it in against this Dallas defense. They have a lot, a lot of points, so I think it's certainly possible that they can turn those field goals more into touchdowns in this football game. I've got the Chiefs winning in this one. I I think they put up four touchdowns and a couple of field goals, so I'll give it to them. I think they're going to score 34 points, and with the offense being very limited, if they are without Ezekiel Elliott, I think Kansas City, that defense, especially Justin Houston being a key, and I... I really hope Chris Jones can also come out of nowhere and, and have a big game. It's been a while since he's had a big game. That right tackle just isn't very good for the Cowboys. Leo Collins. So Justin houston has got to have a really big game to put them in position to constantly have three and out and give Kansas City an opportunity to really just take over this football game. I think it's got to be more one-sided than a lot of people will think. I know because it's a... 325 p.m. game. It's a late afternoon game. You don't have a lot of late afternoon games. So there's going to be a wide audience for this. And I think because of what Kansas City has, it's going to be a disappointing game for a lot of people to watch. So I think Kansas City wins this game 34-17 in this one. I think they're going to take care of business and come away with a few more points in the second half to seal the deal and move on to 7-2 going into the bye week. So 34 17, my prediction, the Chiefs getting out of Jerry's world and going into the bye week with a 7-2 and record. That do it for this episode of the Chiefs' own podcast. I'm Farzin Vasugian Thank you guys, as always, for downloading and listening to the Chiefs' Zone podcast. You guys know the social media, facebook.com slash Farzin Vesugian. Like my page, follow me on there. You guys can also follow me on Twitter at Farzin21. Email me, farzin at farzinvesugian.com. You guys can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Share it on social media. Let a friend know about it. Helps the podcast. Greatly appreciate it if you guys can do that. And as always, let's continue the interaction. Reminder, I'll do a Facebook Live video at halftime and after the game. And after I record the last Facebook Live video after the game, I'll record the podcast and that'll be available Monday morning. So keep an eye out for that. Big thanks to you guys once again for downloading and listening to this episode of the Chiefstone Podcast. I'm Farsi and until then, I'll talk to you on Monday. Enjoy the game. Have a good weekend.